listening to the Future of Enterprise podcast. I'm your host, Fawn Hentrell, and I'm excited to be speaking with Debbie Douglas today. She's the Director of Recruiting and Content with Talent Acquisition at Paramount. And we'll be talking about how the disruptive forces within business and the cultural shifts and how they're altering how we live and work. So today I'm really excited to have Debbie as a guest. We go back a long ways, Debbie. Yes, we <laughs> Welcome. Do. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yes. And why don't we share with our listening audience a little bit about your background before we kind of delve into some disruptions and trends and talent acquisition. Uh, well, so undergrad, I studied social work um, at Stony Brook University. And back then I considered myself uh, someone that wanted to save the world one person at a time until I realized how clinical social work was and decided, let me pivot and find a new direction where I'm still helping people, but in a more corporate, less clinical setting. And that's kind of how I stumbled upon human resources. I uh, got my um, graduate degree in human resources and then ended up in my first um, full-time job at a theatrical management company called the Schubert Organization, and then ultimately ended up um, at MTV Networks, where we met yes. as my uh, pretty early on career um, position, which was awesome, and I'm pretty much still there. <laughs> yes, it's exciting to see your progression and trajectory in HR. And I know that you over the years have had an opportunity to bring a wealth of experience because you've worked not just at MTV, but other media outlets, other organizations. So in your current role, you're bringing a breadth of knowledge and industry experience as well as functional experience. And as we think about today and the future of work and things that are happening, uh, tell me a little bit about what you're responsible for in your role today at Paramount. Mm -hmm. Uh, So as the director of talent acquisition, I I have a small team under me, um, a senior recruiter and a a, a recruiter position where we support the entire ecosystem of Paramount specifically with respect to the creative content um, teams. And we have quite a few different arms to that. My arm is specifically production management across all of those brands, as well as project management, post-production, anything that is um, helping out with respect to content, but behind the scenes. And then we have other areas that our team supports, like development for the creative um, folks to producers and uh, creative production to the streaming end. So that's just one part of the TA department. We have multiple other TA teams that support the other clients within our group, such as like the TA for corporate teams and TA for digital and tech teams. And uh, we have corporate for marketing and communications, but we're considered our creative content uh, talent acquisition team, which has been great. So our clients can range anywhere from Showtime to BET to Nickelodeon, you name it. Since we've merged with all of those companies over the last two years, we've just been trying to find our way and kind of plant our on the ground in terms of culture and processes. So we're still in the midst of that, even two years later. (laughs) Yes, yes. And it does take some time. So we know how that goes. Exactly. We're trying to do integrations. What types of things are you seeing in terms of the disruptions in business as far as talent management and talent acquisition? Yes. So they are definitely seeing the shift and the change in terms of the workforce where they are and what they want. And we have to 
pretty much address that in how we interact with them, how we approach candidates, how we negotiate hiring them, and also realizing that not all potential candidates want to come back to the office, even if it's hybrid. I'm getting a lot of pushback from candidates. It doesn't matter what level they are, from entry level to senior level, where, you know, I've, I've had to lose a couple of really great eggs because they didn't want to come in hybrid schedule. So we have to start talking about those conversations and not resting on what we used to do versus what we need to do now with the shift of the workforce and kind of like what their priorities are, what's important to them. We've clearly seen that over the last two years that people have been able to be productive at home and still getting the job done. Of course, there are going to be some positions where it's just a need and it's imperative for the business to actually be physically in the office. But then there's a lot of other departments where that need is not a necessity. It's more about culture and what we used to do and just what it what makes sense in their particular you know structure the old boil's cup <laughs> yes do you find it that the shift i guess in pushing back to coming into the office or even not just having a hybrid schedule because that's where you come in certain days and then you work remote others do you find that that pushback that you're getting is driving any cultural changes or shifts within your business Definitely. I definitely think that it has changed, one, how we work, two, how we interact with others, and three, just making sure that, again, we have to keep that in mind as we're crafting jobs, as we're marketing the jobs, and as we're developing our teams and our structures, like keeping that in mind that not everyone is going to just automatically want to come back to work. And we have to think about our competitors and what are our competitors doing as well. We've lost candidates, you know, because of that. But then, you know, we have a whole set of other um, folks that are excited and can't wait to get back to the office. So it's, it's really up in the air, but it's still at the end of the day, you know, as they say from that book, you got to move with the cheese and, you know, we have to meet them where they're at at the end of the day. And we don't want to get left behind because we will lose out on candidates if we're not addressing what their needs are and what to them is considered work-life balance and is a part of their employee value proposition that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Do you think that part of the conversation and the shift is really driving your time to hire because it's maybe extending the talent acquisition life cycle to some extent, or, you know, in terms of how you approach sourcing of the candidates? Yeah, definitely. I think it has definitely made some impact, not a huge amount, but I think it'll continue to stagger the process when we may get to a point where we're looking at candidates and we're we're having to reinvent the pool because a lot of folks are pushing back on what that workforce is going to look like and where they have to work. Sometimes they are not addressing that until the very end when we're making an offer. So it's like, oh, wait a minute. So now we have to start all over again where they thought about it and like, wait a minute, maybe this isn't the setup that I'm looking for. And or they got an offer for a similar job, same pay, but hey, I get to stay home remote with my family um, for this particular position. So why would I choose to go into the office versus, you know, staying at home for the same type of role, same type of benefits and same type of salary? So we just have to stay competitive um, because that is a part of the compensation package when you look at it. 
It's not just a monetary benefit. It's how is this fitting into my new lifestyle, you know, post pandemic? Well, we're not even in the post. Right. <laughs> in the pandemic. Exactly. Exactly. And that conversation with the competitive compensation package is really having that total rewards conversation internally because you're getting that real time on the talent acquisition and you're getting the real time understanding what people are wanting in the market, having to bring that back in the organization, have those conversations with the hiring manager. And really organizations are thinking about how they need to think about the recruiting process Mm -hmm. and hiring for their teams when the driver isn't solely money. And I know this is not a new Concept. Mm-hmm. concept for you because yeah. you're in talent acquisition and we understand that. So I think now organizations and hiring managers are starting to see that, hey, we're going to have to really think through when yes. compensation isn't the number one factor, like what's motivating someone to want to shift or change a job. Exactly. You know, that's something that I think people are having to craft more intentional conversations Exactly. And as recruiters, because we are the, you know, on the ground and we are the first levers of the interaction between the employer and potential employee, that we have to bring that intel back to them and we have to let them know what are the insights. So we have to be a little bit more intentional about insights that we're seeing from our candidate pool out there and making sure that we're partnering with the HR business partners and we're partnering with the client group. So they know, hey, this is some things that we're seeing and this is how we have we should be reacting to them so that we're ahead of the game and we're not being reactive versus proactive about how to attract great talent, especially now within the competitive space that we're in. It's very competitive right now. We're having folks have multiple offers, not just one other offer or not just their job uh, doing a counter offer, it's multiple from all different directions. So we have to always come with our, you know, best offer. Right. And I think that what's interesting is normally, like in the past, over the years, we've seen that multiple offer thing from a top talent, you know, people are high performers, but it's really trickling down to average performers, you know, <laughs> it's, it's exactly. so weird, you know, yeah. Yeah. The, to see it because you used to think remote opportunities were something, you know, we have talking to executives or senior management, people are like, okay, well, this is what I'm wanting to do. So you're crafting this offer package. Now you're like having these conversations with people at all levels. And it's like, okay, so yeah. let's, Think through this. And also uh, with respect to timing, because of the fact that it's such a competitive market, we can't let the candidates sit with us for too long without acting on them versus saying, well, I want to meet with 10, 15 people. If you really see someone that's strong and you meet with them after you've had at least a couple of interviews, you should be ready to act on them because they're going to get snapped up in the market that we're in right now. And I've seen it happen. And it's really saying to organization, look at your process, your hiring process, because your hiring process can't be the traditional process that it's been. And it may not have been because talent acquisition is typically not the holdup. That team is not the recruiters, not the holdup. Usually I have seen that black in terms of 
moving candidates throughout the process has been the manager. So I think now organizations are having to say, okay, do they have to really meet with six people? Exactly. And that's where we come in as a consultative recruiter um, to have those type of conversations with them and counsel them and make sure that they know that we are a subject matter expert in this space and we're here to partner with you, make it easier for you, ultimately set everyone up for success. The candidate the team, the department, and make sure that we're not having to rehire that person in six months because we didn't do all the homework that we needed to do to make sure that we're hiring the right people uh, time, timely wise and just skill set level and just, you know, what that person really wants short term and long term. Does it align with the direction the company is going versus what they're looking for? So all those little pieces that we don't realize comes into play. Right. And, you know, people always say that in HR, that talent acquisition is the most thankless part of HR. (laughs) But really, when you think of recruiting and talent acquisition, those who are really good at it have to put that hat on of having a consultative approach to dealing Yeah, that partnership with their internal clients. And then also you have your external clients, which are those candidates and even internal candidate clients. What other types of things are you seeing in terms of disruption, in terms of talent acquisition? I would say being more cognizant about how we're assessing talent utilizing more emerging uh, media platforms, having less bias attached to the recruitment process. For example, we use something called Textio. It's a platform that you can use to eliminate biased words and language and phrases that may skew more female or it may skew more male, or it may be ageist in the way that the conversation is in the um, dialogue of the description. So we use that to really protect ourselves before we even post a job. We have to score a certain percent before we post it on the external um, and internal platform. So that's one way. Also to mitigate biases in assessing candidates and bringing candidates on. Not all of our areas have rolled this out, but for ad sales, which is typically a referral community where you refer your cousin and your brother and your little sister, and it tends not to be as diverse. They have implemented a platform. They use algorithms to figure out what is the best answer for particular questions. They may give you a game, an interactive game uh, to answer certain questions. And again, it takes all the bias out. They don't know what sex you are. They don't know what race you are. They don't know what lifestyle or religion or age you are. So that's also a great way that they have been utilizing that skill set to separate bias. Also, in terms of talent acquisition, we most recently last year hired a senior director of employee engagement. So it helps us out with getting the word out about who we are as a company, especially with the rebranding of now Paramount. You know, we went through a couple of reiterations of who we are, our name, the companies that are associated with us, the shift in the culture that has now created a new culture for Paramount with all the additions of like a CBS and a Paramount Plus and a Pluto TV. So these are all newer entities that have joined us in this now huge entertainment conglomerate. So the marketing uh, that we do to attract potential talent and what that looks like and who are the people that we're um, looking at. You know, our demo is pretty much every demo that you can imagine from Mm -hmm. toddlers to baby boomers. So we also want to make sure that we're finding the right talent um, that's associated with our brands and things like that. 
Also, we've developed more um, intentional programming around internal mobility and specifically uh, programs for BIPOC um, employees, especially middle managers and getting them level set to the right levels and salary compensation. So there's so many things that we're doing right now in terms of stepping it up in terms of um, how we're looking at talent acquisition strategies for both the company, the employees and potential candidates. So it sounds like the diversity component is really integrated. And I always, you know, when consulting with organizations talk about they say, well, what is the diversity? What is our strategy? And it shouldn't be a siloed strategy. It needs to be something that's connected. So it sounds like, yes, that you guys are definitely really trying to maximize your diversity stance in terms of how do we integrate this into hiring, into the decision process, Mm -hmm. into the growth opportunities, probably internally for your employees. So once we attract them and we hire them, how do we retain them and engage them? So that's important. A lot of organizations really put a lot of emphasis on the acquiring of the talent. And not the inclusivity of how we're going to retain them. Exactly, exactly. The, the team. And that's one thing I must say, I'm so, so proud of my company. And even from when we uh, worked together, I think that was always on like the top of the business yes. um, agenda items is mm-hmm. diversity and not just talking about it, but actually finding ways that we can truly walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Um, so since then, I mean, like we've created the Office of Global Inclusion with Marva Smalls and have several ERGs that come from that umbrella as well. So employees really feel as though they are a part of the fabric of the company because they can identify with other uh, like-minded folks, whether it be from a specific culture, from a specific religious upbringing to lifestyle to, um, you know, motherhood. I mean, we we have pretty much had it all, um, which I think is great. And we're not perfect in, by any means, but I think we're leap years ahead of a lot of big companies like we are in terms of diversity, inclusion, even pro-social activities. Um, so I'm really proud to work for a company that that is something that's really important. Right. And so the ERGs, for those who may not know that acronym, that's Employee Resource Group. And I, I know when I was there, we we had that. But it's so great to see the progression of where you guys are today and where we started, because that was just definitely an initiative. I remember that that was top of line for the business. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about what do you think organizations can do to address the disruptions that we're seeing in talent acquisition? I'm not quite sure that the future of work is going to go back to how it was. Um, yeah. What do you see as some things that maybe organizations can do to help address some of the disruptions? Yeah. Well, one of the things that we already started to do over the pandemic, literally at the beginning of the pandemic, like a couple months in, the company started to send out employee surveys. Um, to kind of find out, one, how are they feeling, not only just about what's going on in the world, but mentally, um, your mental uh, state. We've even rolled out um, resources and tools that employees can actually download for free, uh, different apps that can help you with uh, managing stress, balancing work and life. Um, So it's been really awesome. I actually used one of the apps even before the company applied the benefit to us and because they were expensive. (laughs) (laughs) They are, yeah. Yeah, so it's a free benefit, like from the Calm app to Headspace. It's really been helping. Then we have a Thrive it's called Thrive. It's, it's, a, it's a program specifically addressing uh, mental health and work-life balance. And it's actually embedded in our Slack 
where they ask you a question every morning just to kind of see like, how are you attacking the day? And once you answer it, they, they um, share a nice uplifting, affirming message for the morning. So those are just a little touch points, but also the employee surveys really has helped craft how they develop the hybrid schedule that we currently have now based on the employees' um, responses to working in the office versus staying at home completely remote. So we had such a um, mix of reactions that they decided to do hybrid where it's a mix of both. So you have that opportunity to still kind of maintain a lot of the new um, landscape that you have been in over the last two years where you've got back the time from not commuting anymore. You got back the time with your family. You have more flexibility to actually run your personal life as well as your work life. So I think people appreciate that. We also have quarterly town halls with our CEO, Bob Backish, which I think has been really helpful in terms of transparency and communication around what is going on with the business. And that helps employees to understand, you know, where they are in the ecosystem of Paramount and how they affect the different parts of the business and the goals and the missions that the business is uh, putting out. Um, and then where we're heading and then what are our challenges? So yeah. that's really good as well. So I think they are continuously addressing, you know, the shift in the workforce, like I mentioned, the shift in how we're going after different skills now, especially in this new uh, world that we're living in. And um, everything is more social media oriented, digital oriented, streaming oriented. Um, so we're employing different skills in terms of new uh, roles that we're looking for. And it also requires um, recruiters and um, hiring managers to take on new skills as well to be able to assess uh, the new candidate profile as well. So they have been providing us with tools and training as well as the uh, business uh, managers as well. So there's a lot of resources going into making sure that we're kind of up to speed on where we need to be. Yeah. And I think that that's great because the marketing piece, recruitment marketing has always been important. Some organizations may not have utilized it maybe yeah. to the extent that they should, but Having a really strong recruitment marketing strategy is critical for organizations to be successful and not just winning the talent or top talent, but for their employer brand. And something else that you mentioned, I thought was very instrumental in terms of things that organizations should look at is the mental health aspect of talent acquisition, retention, and engaging employees. You guys are doing some great work in reference to that. Can you share a little bit with us in terms of that internal resource? Internal resources, yeah. So outside of the mental health app, we also have an in-house therapist that comes in. Um, Pre-pandemic, she would be there, I think, every Mondays, and you can go and set up an appointment anonymously, so it's nothing that you have to worry about. We also, of course, have the EAP hotline, the employee assistance uh, program that anyone can reach out to, whether they're dealing with substance abuse, domestic violence, mental health issues, suicide awareness, um, and that's all free to our employees. With respect to the employee engagement and the marketing piece, we also have touch points um, for prospective uh, candidates to look at our uh, websites, LinkedIn. We have a Paramount page. We have Life at Paramount on Instagram, where you can kind of get a bird's eye view of like what it's like to work at this organization. Does this align with my morals, my values? 
Are they supporting certain companies that align, again, with what my stat, my, my stance is on certain issues? So people pay attention to that more so now than ever before. Yes. People, they're actually asking, like you said, what are your diversity initiatives? Um, what does that look like? What does that mean? They're asking, you know, what does the company do for the community? They're asking these questions. It is really one, and just that conversation is because we have multi generations in the workforce, you know, four or five generations been on the organization. This is a conversation that you're seeing more with millennials, Generation Z, where they're asking these questions and it can't be just lip service anymore. So they want to know what are the tangible things to help them make the decision on if they want to come and be a part of what we like to say, the community. Exactly. They pay attention to everything from Glassdoor and Indeed and all the other social outlets that, you know, talk about employers, the good, the bad and the ugly. So we want to be on that list of top employers to work with, which we are. We're on multiple lists of top employers to work for, which I'm also proud to, to be associated with the company because they actually do care about their employees. And, you know, you, you actually can see it, you can feel it, you feel heard. Uh, we like to say that, you know, you bring your authentic self to work. And I definitely feel that, you know, after being with the company on and off for over 20 years. Yeah, it's a lot of authentic self there. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, the you stories. Exactly. You see it more physically in the building when you are yeah. there, which that's something I do mm-hmm. miss, the connection with the team and things of that nature. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a fine line. It's like, How can we go back to what was the good stuff, but then also keep and retain some of the things that we now value so much about, you know, being home more, uh, seeing your family more, having life balance, you know, which is so key. Because at the end of the day, that's the most important thing, regardless. So how has that like addressed your team? Because that life balance, what does your team look like? Yeah. So in terms, oh, actually, that's a great question. So my team um, specifically, I reported to a VP and. And we have quite a few employees and uh, team leads under her. I'm one of the team leads and we're a pretty diverse um, team and we're diverse in terms of where we are. Some of us are remote, some of us are hybrid and some of us work completely remote. So we're all mixed up. Oh, as great. Well. My specific, yeah, my specific small team, two of the recruiters that work under me, they're completely remote. One lives in Texas and the other one's actually in New York, but she is remote. OK, well. OK. So that's interesting dynamic. So people who are physically in a city still get an opportunity. And that is so important because I think what I've read in the news, then in talking to clients and I've seen all these different industries and organizations, companies tend to really put themselves behind an eight ball when they try to drive a strategy of this remote work, telecommuting, work from home, WFM, all these acronyms and say, mm-hmm. it's really only for people who don't live in the area. Because if you're local to an yeah. office, we want you to come in office. And you really have to change that mindset. Absolutely. absolutely. It's just mindset. It's absolutely mindset. It's like uh, the theory that if I'm physically there and you can see me, then that means that I'm doing more versus you not being able to physically see me. You shouldn't have hired me if you can't trust me to do the job that you hired me to do. So then that to me goes out the door. You don't allow for independence and autonomy. And that also promotes a healthier work-life balance too. And it makes them want to produce more when they feel trusted and they're empowered to actually do their job. 
what are some of the top maybe two or three priorities that you see in terms of talent acquisition as we look at the future work and where things are trending? What are the top mm-hmm. three talent acquisition priorities companies should be focused on? Again, um, prioritize um, managing your workforce in terms of their needs because their needs have changed over the last almost three years now. So address every industry is going to be different. Their needs are going to be different, but pay attention to that. Ask, uh, do employee um, surveys, have town halls, request constant feedback, have those consistent quarterly touch points with your employees, whether it be supervisor to employee, whether it be team and departmental lead, having those group conversations, have brainstorming workshops, things of that nature so that you can really get to the heart of it. It doesn't make any sense to strategize in a small room with all the executives because of what you guys think should be happening if you're leaving the employees out of it because then how is that going to work when you need the input of everyone that's actually doing the hands-on work they can tell you what's working what's not working what levers you need to pull uh, strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats they can really tell you that so that's one thing you know your workforce Invest, invest, invest in your workforce. Give them the tools, give them the resources, give them the training, because it's only going to make your company better when you invest in your employees and turn around and grow them. So that's another thing, internal mobility. That's really, really important that I feel that it just makes sense versus continuously going outdoor externally looking for high caliber candidates when you literally can grow them internally from the ground up. Not saying that we don't do that. Simultaneously, we should be making sure that we are investing in our um, talent that we currently have and look at those high performing folks and invest further into them, create programs around them. And then I would say, I would say also just pay attention to all the emerging uh, technologies and trends out there that can bolster um, your talent acquisition team's tools that can make you more forward thinking in terms of how you're capturing and attracting candidates. Now that I've been learning about um, some newer ones, because, you know, I I consider myself an OG at this point compared to a recruiter that's been in it for five years and they may know a lot of tips and tricks that I don't know and I haven't used before. So I'm actually learning a lot more about some new tactics. You know, they have texting type of related talent acquisition tech touch points with candidates now, which I didn't realize until a couple of years ago. You know, I've employed a lot more tactics on social media in terms of recruitment. There's like specifically for media, I don't know about any other industry. Like I tap into this group and it's when I first um, joined, it it was only 5,000 members. It's over 12,000 members. And now they have different cities. They do actual physical meetups now. And I've hired countless people from there. And, it's, and there's actually a diverse, it's, it's people in color. So that has really helped me bolster my diversity and the type of positions that I'm hiring for as well. So there's just so many different things, but just tap into the technology, elevate your recruiting skills and your recruitment staff to make sure that they're ready to recruit for that um, next generational force. Right. And some people may be listening and they're saying, oh my gosh, Paramount, you guys have an unlimited budget. And we know it's not unlimited, but you have a, you have a larger budget than most. So in terms of small businesses that may be listening, because I have just a heart for small business owners, a lot of things that you're saying are tactics that can be used regardless of the business size. And I will tell you that 
That's one of the things that I'm always looking at is making sure that I'm aware of what's out there because on the consulting side, we have to know what are a lot of the emerging technologies to help our clients look at how to best implement or identify those technologies to help them really streamline processes or just really kind of drive strategies and initiatives. And I will say that you will probably never know everything that's out there, you know, exactly. but it's great to be able to really leverage a good leader will leverage their team to Mm -hmm. see what they would recommend using. And we had a client who was very, very large global organization and they literally only used one platform zip recruiter <laughs> oh wow and wow. they only focused on active job postings okay. and i was mm-hmm. really shocked yeah. but that was something that their leadership decided that they wanted to leverage that platform and some things i realized was that was probably more due to them wanting to keep costs down in terms of their budget. But I would say what you're sharing with the audience today is that the talent acquisition priorities really need to touch on the full life cycle of the talent. So when we think talent management, the employer brand, the candidate experience, the recruitment marketing, the employee engagement and retention of the talent, What would you share with people who want to break into the entertainment and media industry, maybe who are new to the workforce or maybe have transferable skills? Yes, definitely become a subject matter expert if you aren't already in the space of or the area that you would like to transfer into or grow into. I would also implore you to get the education if you don't have the education, especially if it's specific to an area that you're looking for. At the end of the day, experience trumps everything. So go out and actually do the work. And I, and I know people are like, what does that actually mean? Um, people don't realize how much resources that you have at your fingertips to be able to fluff up your skills, not even fluff up, but actually um, build your skills and build your toolkit. So whether it's taking some classes, whether it's volunteering at a smaller organization and getting the hands-on experience, doing the actual work yourself and crap. Like if you want to become a production assistant or a production coordinator or production manager, volunteering your work with maybe your friends that are actually doing similar type of work. So you get your uh, photographer together, you get your writer together, you guys create your own uh, production and put it up on YouTube. That's what people are doing. They're literally putting their work on different social media platforms and getting recognized for it. How do we think um, Issa Rae got here? She started out as a little web series on YouTube, and here she is. She has her own platform on HBO and has done way bigger things than that. And that's because she grew her audience. She created her own content. And sometimes it doesn't have to be, well, if they don't recognize me, I can do it myself and then let them see yes. me and and share the skills that I actually built up with my small community. Start with the community that you have and the resources that you have. If you're able to, you know, go to school 100 percent and then get a job through the school, you can do that. Not everybody right. can just drop everything and start fresh and start a new career and they won't have a job to pay for the school that they need to go back to. But When you're doing a career transition, that's when I would say you have to be realistic about what you're going to give up and what you have to get to get there. One of the things that I looked at was driving 
connecting with the industry associations and groups. And that may be a strategy for someone who wants career transition, right? Exactly. And how did I forget that? Connect with the people that you want emulate, I mean, that you want to emulate. Connect with those. Reach out to those people. Um, get in touch with the people that have the titles that you want. Learn from them. What does it take to get to your space? What are the things that I need to do? What are the skills I need to uh, garner? What organizations should I be a part of? What type of networking support group should I be a part of? You know, things of that nature. That definitely helps. Networking is everything. I mean, uh, I feel like most of the jobs outside of my first job, which was MTV, I got through a connection and like networking and just knowing people or someone referring me directly. So that's that's interesting. So we have an audience question here and it Mm -hmm. says, how do businesses compete for talent in a constrained market? I think we have to be creative. Um, We have to say, you know what? Hey, Uh, We might have to um, explore outside of the region that we think that that position is supposed to be only in, you know, where we may have to do relocation and find someone that's outside of the local market, if that's what you mean, in terms of um, the, the market is tight. Um, and we're not finding the people. That's what I would assume um, so based I would on the say, question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I would say being creative with um, where we're looking, um, expanding the, the pool. Also, readjusting maybe what that skill set is looking looking like. Because at the end of the day, like I just had a position that was very hard to find this particular profile that they were looking at. So, and I had to show them, these are the results. This is the industry. These are the players in this space. And these are the skills that they're missing that you want. And they're just not there. So how are we going to have some sort of reconfiguration of that skill set to address what you want? So either you're relaxing the skills and you're training that person for that particular skill set that we just can't find, or you are going to have to forego right. some. Right. So you, it, you know? it's like the yeah. wish list, right? So, and, and, it, and it's something what to is, be said for upskilling talent um, and, and reskilling yeah. and looking at your internal teams and their capabilities, because that's a really great first place to look. But even on your wish list, when you're looking outside, you may not in a constrained market be able to get everything off that list. So what are your must haves? Right. And so that's that's really good. So share with our audience how they can get in touch with you if they'd like to, you know, talk more, get your insights and consulting, you know, expertise. Absolutely. Yes, no problem. So on LinkedIn, I'm Debbie uh, Douglas. Um, You just have to search me by Paramount because there's a thousand, thousands of Debbie Douglas out there. My parents gave me that very, very uh, um, traditional name. So there's so many of me to be found, but just make sure that you put at Paramount and I'll come right up. LinkedIn is probably the best bet. Email, I'm at Debbie.Douglas at Paramount.com. Just make a note of what the particular subject is and the subject line so that I know how That's to great. respond. That's great. And for everyone listening, we'll also have Debbie's contact information for LinkedIn on our website or on our podcast page. So yeah. it'll take you right there so you don't have to filter through all the Debbie Douglases. Yeah. I always like to say triple yeah. D. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Also on Instagram, it's kind of like my personal and professional page yes. merged together. So I post a lot of work related stuff, but it's also my life as well, which I'm totally fine with. At first, I used to have a private page, which was personal. And then I had a corporate, you know, uh, more buttoned up page. And I realized, you know what, I, I'm still 100% yes. Debbie Douglas 
in the personal and corporate. So I welcome you into my universe either way to follow me. Um, and, And I realized that also helped me get a lot of speaking engagements too because of the things I post and they see what I have done and I ended up getting a lot more. Okay. uh, Okay. Well, that's great. Well, it seems like if they're wanting to get in touch with you, that you are able to be reached. And so that's the biggest thing. I'd like to thank you, Debbie, for being a guest here on the future of enterprise. I'd like to ask our listening audience to definitely visit our ascendinggroup.com podcast page to sign up so that you never miss a new episode. Thank you again for listening. I'm your host, Vaughn Hentrell. Until next time.